Thank you for joining us today on Women in What We Do. Have you ever thought about trying a profession that is predominantly dominated by men? Or waiting to start your business when you feel like the timing is right? Well, our next guest will show us how determination and sacrifice will beat all statistics. Sometimes life just has a way of guiding us, or for me, shoving us towards exactly what we're meant to do. She's the recipient of the first ever We Do Awards, which is an award from Women of Toledo, recognizing women entrepreneurs and their achievements in our area. She's the owner and architect of Engage Studios and an incredibly giving woman. I'm your host, Mary Brucker, and welcome. So welcome, Erin Curley. Yeah, thanks. Great to be here. Our, this is our, my first time. It's your th- first podcast. First ever. And you happen to be our We Do Award winner, our inaugural We Do Award winner. Um, mm-hmm. What was the... the um, the title that you got on there? Second Act. Second Act. Well, that kind of leads me exactly into my first question is, um, what was your first act? <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know that it is really my second act. It's just a continuation of just getting started. But so my first act was really same profession, which is I'm an architect and I'm an owner of, of a firm. I've always worked with other firms. So in architecture, you know, it's very male predominated profession even today. I think women were finally getting to just about a quarter of the male to female ratio. And in in Toledo, I would say it's even more male dominated. So to come in and have your own firm, it's not like there wasn't competition. (laughs) It's not like there weren't other opportunities, but it really just was to a point where I was ready to do what I have always dreamed of doing since I first wanted to become an architect, which was to own my own firm. So um, what what triggers you to become an architect? <laughs> you know, when I when yeah. I grew up, I mean, like all the women wanted to be nurses or teachers or stay at home moms. Like, but you you went in a different direction. What, what I did um, as a child, I didn't really know I wanted to be an architect. I always had crayons, paper. I was always coloring. Loved playing with Legos. Um, I remember having all the Barbie stuff, but I would spend hours setting up Barbie's town. And then by the time it actually came to play with Barbie, I was like, eh, I don't want to do that. (laughs) But the idea of envisioning what Barbie would do throughout her day and where she would go. But even then, I didn't really think about it. I loved cartoons. I always thought I wanted to be a computer animator. I wanted to work for Disney. And it was my sophomore year of high school. I was already taking art classes. I wanted to take art as an independent study for an elective school wouldn't let me. They said, you can do band, choir, or you can take drafting. Well, as kids, when we don't get our way, we call mom, right? So I really attribute what I am today to her kind of pushing me in that direction because she ended up having a conversation with my guidance counselor and they said, try drafting, just try it. If you don't like it, you can take as much art as you want. Well, I thought I had that made, like, I'm going to show them. But at the end of the day, mom was right. Mom knew. And I pretty much decided at that point that I wanted to be an architect because being an architect at that time was just as creative as art. It wasn't as subjective, though. There's certain policies in place. There's a line means something, a dash line means something. So plus you get to design something, it gets built, and then you get to see it for 
many, many years and you get to see your work. How do you go from this love in high school that you <clears throat> just ex- like literally accidentally mm-hmm. found to turning that into a career? A lot of sacrifice, <laughs> hard work and sacrifice. So I am a very determined person from the moment that I knew I wanted to be an architect. It was pretty much, this is the path. In 2015, I actually received Emerging Professional of the Year from AIA Toledo, which is the local architects organization. My high school drafting teacher showed up to that event and I hadn't seen him for like, you know, 15 years. So it was kind of cool. But he said that I had that spark in my eye then. So yeah, it was just, you know, hard work. My parents, neither one of them went to college. You know, we didn't necessarily know what the best path was. I knew I was going to start at a community college, which I did. We were still living in Michigan. I started at Monroe. Then I transferred to Owens. Then I went to BG, did my four years there. BGs did not have an accredited architecture program then. They do now. They did not then. Um, So then I had to go to Lawrence Tech, and I spent five years there. So all in all, I spent 12 years in school. Wow. Through that period of time... I was working full-time, so pretty much started working at a architecture firm in 2004 and have been working at a firm ever since. The end-all, be-all is just loving what you do, getting having that reward, and knowing that you're giving back in some way. So for me, it was giving back to the community. I was fortunate that the first firm I worked in, I was there for 10 years, really helped me to grow in my profession. I was exposed to... Um, the AIA Toledo High School Design Competition, which is the longest running in the nation. So I was able to like mentor students. And then I started really getting involved in community, did a couple pro bono projects during that time while I was going to school. So I was working full time, going to grad school, doing pro bono and, you know, just just seeing kind of the outcomes of that and what it was doing for the next generation of kids opening their minds to, hey, this is something that I could do. And then just being able to improve our community in the best possible way. What was it that triggered you to go, okay, I've been with the firm my whole life. I went to school for this. I can actually now, I feel like I can do this on my own. (laughs) You know, so many entrepreneurs, they, they get stuck in that middle ground between corporate and going on their own. What was it for you? Yeah, so that's a really good one because, you know, my my mother and I are extremely close. And (laughs) through the years, I had mentioned it many times and you're not ready, you're not ready. So for me, like I said, I started out at a firm. I was there for 10 years, decided I needed to make a shift. I ended up working at a firm in um, Finley, lost track of community a little bit, decided I needed to come back, worked at a corporate firm. And up till that point, I had never been furloughed in my entire life. Well, then I went to a corporate firm, there were some big changes and I was furloughed for the first time. And I basically had two options. And to preface it, I was not very happy in the firm at that time. So it really, when I got the news, I was like, okay, like that's kind of good because I wasn't really happy there. Essentially, I found myself with I could either go home and I could like process it, cry, do whatever it is we need to do, or I could continue on with my day. And at that time, my day was go to lunch with a colleague and then I was supposed to go to a nonprofit event that was paid for by the CEO at the time. 
I decided to just go to lunch with my colleague and go to the nonprofit event and literally introduce myself, you know, an hour and a half after being furloughed as an independent architect. And then by the next day, I had calls from Detroit and Cleveland firms asking me to come interview when I hadn't even told people, you know, not everyone even knew yet that I had been furloughed. So I think that was kind of the, is it time? You know, they say that, you know, it's time when people are coming to you. Right. So I think at that point it was like, okay, people are coming to me. What does this mean? I spent the rest of that week with the SBDC locally here just to see what would it take found out that my overhead was going to be very low, you know, just needed to get that LLC. And that was a simple process. And within two weeks, I had my own firm. Unbelievable. So it was a cross between, I guess you were ready and the universe was pushing you uh, in that direction. Yeah. And then, you know, as far as clients, I already had established many clients that I had worked with in the 22 years that I had been working. Right. I was confident that I could hold on to some of that. So let's go back to one of the original um, statements about it being architecture, being a male-dominated world. How do you survive in that? I mean, there's a lot of professions that they still consider probably male-dominated, but women are breaking through. How do you do that, Erin? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a challenge. I have pretty broad shoulders. I, I come from a very big, loud family. So my father was essentially an arbitrator. So we, there's a lot of arguing in our family that most people <laughs> would be like, oh, my gosh, they fight all the time. No, that's just us communicating. From that standpoint, I'm, I'm broad shouldered. Um, I've been in the industry even prior to being in architecture. I used to work electrical construction. So I understand the construction side of things. But as a firm owner, it is very difficult. Like I said, there's no lack of competition, specifically in Toledo. There are other women firms that are have women uh, leaders. I think it's really just a matter of making sure that I understand what my value is, understand what the quality is I bring to the table, and understand what my niche is. And I and I say that because I do think that I have a little bit of a niche compared to maybe some of the other firms, and that is I don't have the overhead. I, it's just me. I work from home. Everything's low, so I'm able to kind of tap into some of those small businesses, women-owned, minority-owned, people who maybe struggle with access to capital, and I can offer them services at a lower cost, not because I'm lowering my costs just because I don't have the extra overhead. So, you know, from that standpoint, um, I think that's kind of the business side of things. As far as the marketing side of things, yeah, it can be hard to sometimes sell yourself to male clients because it's not just who my competition is and who the contractors I might be working with. It's also the, the clientele in this area is predominantly male. How do I let them know that, yes, I'm capable to do this compared to, you know, these other firms that have been around 20, 30, 50 years. Um, and I think it's just a matter of them hearing about me and, and knowing what I do and, and hearing from my other clients that I'm out there, I'm capable, you're going to get a quality project. Um, and, and sometimes I do hit resistance. You know, I, I get resist. I've, I've had comments made like, oh, well, 
are you, you know, oh, you got to take care of this or you have to take it. Yes, but that doesn't stop me. <laughs> you know, it's, it's okay for me to have other things to do. It's okay for me to work from home. I can still manage what I manage. It may not be in that eight to five window that you're typically used to, but I will respond within that window. I might just do the work at a different time. Right. You know, again, we, we call this podcast Women in What We Do, and that's yeah. that's an exact description of what we do. You know, maybe yeah. it's not the, the typical timeline. Maybe it's not the typical response time. But what we do is we get all that other stuff done, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then we also focus on work. So the other thing that inspires me about you, Erin, and I know that some of the part of getting your work out is you – you do a lot of pro bono work for community in need, and that is incredible to me. Like, why why do you do that? I think I learned some of this, this concept of doing pro bono work comes from my family. Things that I participated in when I was a kid with my grandmother helping at, you know, her church rummage sale, things of that nature. But for me, what I've found is people don't realize, like you don't go into doing pro bono work saying, oh, I'm going to get X, Y, Z out of it. But what I have learned is in doing the pro bono work that makes me feel good, that helps these organizations so that they can give their funds to their organization and use it for other purposes, it ends up paying back tenfold just over time. So it's exposure, it's, you know, doing something good, and it's helping out organization usually it's pro bono work is with organizations so it's helping out organizations who just have a severe need and they don't have the skill set or the people in place nor the funding to hire those people to get the job done so i have that skill and i have that ability and i love to do it yes i've done quite a quite a bit <laughs> people don't realize <laughs> though i will say a pro bono project guaranteed Every time I've ever done one, it's a three-year process, and people don't realize how long that takes. Right. So going back to high school, or any other (laughs) high school, and um, you're sitting there with a a group of young women, such as yourself, and they're trying to decide what to do with their life. And they're back and forth on, this is more male-dominated. This is, what, what advice would you give them? I would say that, And this is really hard because as young people, we don't always know what we want to do, right? I would say that if you think that you have that creative streak or you enjoy putting things together or you enjoy problem solving, you know, look at professions that are more on the creative side because all of those being, you know, in art, engineering, architecture, basically the STEAM fields all encompass a little bit of creativity and thinking outside of the box. One thing I really love about architecture that people don't always connect is how many different avenues we touch. So yes, we have we understand design, we design buildings, but we have to understand materials. We have to understand the structure, the mechanical systems, the environment. We have to understand sociology, how do people interact with a space. We have to understand psychology. How does that space affect them? And and I think people just don't realize how much architecture touches. I mean, you think about it doesn't matter where you go, you are in a building that somebody has designed. It just touches so many different things. And I think kids, 
nowadays just need to understand that when you are trained as an architect, it opens up so many doors because of our training. I know kids I went to school with who have worked for Microsoft, Google, Disney, some of them design theater sets, some of them design parts and pieces for Lego, you know, whatever. It, it doesn't have to be just buildings. It's, it's, it's a education and a training that really makes you well-rounded for many different avenues. That's awesome. What's next for you? My biggest thing would be I would like to um, work on some of my business growth goals. So ultimately, you know, I would like to expand the business. I'm kind of in that gray area right now of like, oh, is it time to hire? Is it not time to hire? Ultimately, I would like to have brick and mortar at some point. And then, of course, the big thing, which is finding how to balance my personal life, which is, that's always been a little bit of a challenge. So the hustle of, I don't have that husband at home and I don't have a business partner. So how do I focus on me? You know, everybody says, you got to focus on you. Well, sometimes me is getting a project done to pay the bill. That is me. Right. So it, it, it can be very difficult. So I think that's what's next is just trying to hone in on some of those things and, and see how I can balance things out, although I don't really believe anything is ever balanced. It's, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's what's the highest priority at any one point in time. But if I want to keep going, I got to make sure I'm focusing on getting everything in line. Well, watching your work, seeing your work is such an inspiration. I know to me and to many, you partner with so many amazing other women uh, in our community that we're excited to have you here. If somebody wants to get a hold of you, how can they do that? I do have a website. You can go to engagestudioarchitects.com. And I would definitely encourage anyone, I tell students all the time, you know, to reach out to me if they think they're interested in the architecture profession. Um, I'm really connected with Bowling Green, so I really love to to reach out to students and, and help them in any way I can. So I would love for, or parents that have kids who think that their kid might have that little spark in their eye like I did. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here, Erin. Yeah, thank you for the invite. Try something out of your comfort zone. Who knows? You may love it, and it could end up just being your career. Always show up and show them your worth. And life has a funny way of telling us that we should be doing something different. You have two choices. Go home and cry about it or finish your day and get ready to start a fresh new one. We've learned from Aaron, that's what we should do. Thank you for joining me on today's episode of Women and What We Do. I'm your host and producer, Mary Brucker, here with my executive producer, Mr. Chris Pfeiffer. I'd like to give a huge thank you to my guest today, Miss Erin Curley. And if you like what you hear, Go to WGTE.org backslash what we do and drop us a line. We'll see you next time on Women and What We Do. And always remember, speak up. We do. WGTE. Voices around us. WGTE is supported in part by American Rescue Plan Act funds allocated by the City of Toledo and the Lucas County Commissioners and administered by the Arts Commission.